All right. Well, good morning, church. When uh, Pastor Mike's out right now, he's at, a, I believe, a pastoral conference. He should be back on Wednesday. When he asked me to teach today on this date, I had to resist every children's ministry teacher, teacher urge to just get straight into the Christmas story because you know how fun that is. And I also have to resist the urge to want to do crafts with you all because I'm used to doing the children's ministry. <laughs> Underneath your chair, we all got no, glue sticks and glitter, right? Nothing would make Pastor Mike more happy than find glitter all over the, uh, the sanctuary. But um, I, wanted to, I wanted to talk about something from the Old Testament that would point to Jesus. And there I go again, picking a really broad topic, because what part of the Old Testament points to Jesus? A great deal. I mean, you just all through it. So, but we're going to be in Malachi, the, the book of Malachi 1. So if you would go ahead and turn there, and I'll, I'll go ahead and um, talk a little bit about uh, Malachi and who he is. Um, Malachi is the last of the 12 minor prophets. Uh, Malachi means my messenger. Um, not much is known about Malachi or his heritage. He ministered around 400 B.C. And uh, the temple and the city walls at this point of Jerusalem have been rebuilt. Um, the people are back in the city near, you know, for a couple generations now. Um, not only is this the last of the minor prophets, um, this is the last of the minor prophets um, until the New Testament. Um, most of the book of Malachi is in the voice of the Lord. Um, using a question-and-answer method, uh, Malachi addresses many sinful issues that the nation is having. He's going to be addressing a group of people in Judea who have the form of worship, but the whole point of that worship is lost on them. Using Malachi, God addresses many issues pertaining to the heart. The worship of God is supposed to be real, not a check in the box. It's to be done intentionally from the heart, and there's a reason for worship. And that's the first thing that is addressed in Malachi the people's love for the Lord, and the recognition of the Lord's love for them. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. And we're reminded that we need to be uh, diligent and, um, and just and, and guarded about how we worship and honor you, Lord. So we just pray that you would soften our hearts and open our ears, Lord, to hear your message today, Lord. And that's our prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to go ahead and read through Malachi 1. 1 through 14, and then we'll go back and, and go through each first five verse. Uh, Malachi 1, 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And laid, laid waste to his mountains and his heritage. For the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, We have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, They may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. 5. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have you despised your name? In what way have we despised your name? Seven, you offered defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer a blind Offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. 
Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor, that he may, be, he may be gracious to us, while this being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? And ten, who is there even among you who would shut the doors, say that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And every place incense shall be offered by, to my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. 12. But you profane it, in that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit is food is contemptible. You say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring, bring the stolen, the lame, the sick, thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? And then lastly, 14. But cursed be the deceiver who has a, in his flock a male who takes a vow but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. That's very profitable stuff. I, I feel like I just got chewed out. Um, I don't think that's something uh, I would want to hear from the Lord. And, and, and as we go and we go through this chapter, we're going to see how it, it's a matter of the heart. I mean, if we remember what, where the Israelites just came from, the Babylonians had just had conquered um, Israel, right? Sacked Jerusalem, tore it down. The Lord allowed them to go back, build the temple, build the walls. They are now prospering inside, and now they're already falling from grace. And, the whole, the, and this is a, a routine that's happening all throughout the Old Testament. So let's look at verse 1. This is probably one of my favorite favorite verses because it it actually pertains to a lot of things that we've already been talking about through all the other services. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The burden. Last time I was up here, I had an opportunity to speak about Nehemiah. And remember when Nehemiah found out about how um, his people were in destitution and the the walls hadn't been built up. What did he do? And this is a place he he hadn't even been to. He, he wept, he wept and prayed and mourned for days. JJ just got done talking about uh, Paul in Romans, and he was talking. And Paul mentioned he is a bond servant of the Lord. And here Malachi is talking about the burden of the word. What do these three gentlemen have in common? It's a matter of their attitude towards the Lord. They set their priorities aside and make the Lord's priorities theirs. Yes, it's a burden. If you ever tie, it, you feel the burden. If you care about it, if you really do care about the Lord's message, it is a burden. It's a joyful burden, but it's a burden. And that's, just, that's something that a servant, and if somebody wants to serve, needs to be very aware of. And that was something I, I just loved about this. It just really speaks to the heart of why we do things. In Matthew sixteen twenty four. It reads, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his, his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I think that's where Malachi, Paul, Nehemiah, just to name a few, anybody that serves the Lord really just sets themselves aside and seeks after the Lord and, and picks up that cross. 
Verse 2 through 5, I'm going to reread it again. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste to his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. Jacob and Esau, um, let's just, we need to get, take a step back and look at Jacob and Esau and who they are and understand what Whenever I time, any time I hear the Lord hating someone or a people, that, that bothers me. It, it, it really it almost wounds me. You know, it's, it, whenever I hear the Lord time, so I always want to do a deeper dive into that. And in 2 through 5, Isaac is these gentlemen's father. His name is later changed to Israel by God. This is the lineage that becomes a nation of Israel. He has two sons, twins, Esau and Jacob. Jacob's 12 sons would go on to become the 12 tribes of Israel. So what the text here is doing is showing that God is drawing a distinctive line between the two, showing how much he loves Israel, Jacob, and by becoming and by speaking about what happened to Esau. Esau's people go on to become the Edomites. And this is found in Genesis 36, 6-9. And I'll read it. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the persons of his household, his cattle, and all his animals, and all his goods, which he had gained in the land of Canaan, and went out to the country away from the presence of his brother Jacob. For their possessions were too great to, for them to dwell together, and the land where they were strangers could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau dwelt in the Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. And this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir, which is now Jordan. Why is this important? Well, in Malachi 1.3, like I said, if you're anything like me, anytime I hear the Lord hating, or I'm on alert. I want to make sure, make sure I'm not in that same boat as this people that God's referring to as hating. This isn't an off-the-cuff statement in 1-3 that God hates Esau. There's a tremendous amount of history, roughly 1,400 years, of Esau and his people, the Edomites, and their behavior has warranted that statement. In Genesis 5-23, it reads, And the Lord said to Rebekah, that's Isaac's wife, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. The older shall serve the younger. The older being Esau shall serve Jacob the younger. Not the older shall be hated. The older shall serve the younger. So if you think of, you know, you're thinking of two baby, you know, baby boys being born, it's not like God just, I, I'm going to hate this child and not this child. He said the older shall serve the younger. That was what God's intentions was for those two. That was his plan. That, the, 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 part, the, the hated part comes after 14 years of betraying Israel, just being a wicked people. God showed favor to Israel because, one, yes, they were the chosen, but, two, they did follow God. We see a routine of falling away, being punished, then they repent, and God blesses them. The Edomites, on the other hand, 
made little, if any, effort to follow God. In fact, the Edomites are known for following false gods. Um, Solomon 1, King, 1 Kings 11, David, both Solomon and David had wives that came from the na- this nation. And this is where the introduction of false gods and idol worship keeps getting reintroduced throughout the Old Testament. The Edomites even went to war with Solomon. The Edomites were also recognized in Ezekiel 25 as raiding and plundering Judah after the Babylonians had conquered Israel. So if you remember, when, we, um, when we're talking in Nehemiah and Jerusalem had been plundered, that's who had done it. His brother had plundered his city. And you're talking about two different peoples. And Obadiah 1 talks about, um, goes into, if you really want to get into Edomites and all the things they did, and Obadiah 1 goes into that a lot more, but um, you get the picture, though. God is not hating a firstborn baby of twins. It's an act of many generations of nations, and, na- and a nation that did not fall after God that he is hating. It just really comes down to hearts. It really comes down to hearts. Um, if you think about um, Pharaoh, for example, God didn't just harden his heart. It was Pharaoh hardening his heart, Pharaoh hardening his heart, Pharaoh hardening his heart, Pharaoh hardening his heart, God allowing him to harden his heart, Pharaoh hardening his heart, and so on. It's a a test of the heart, and that's what God's looking at. Um, And in Jordan, one of the the interesting things I was was doing my reading, the Edomites lived in what is now called Jordan, and one of the major ancient cities out there is Petra. And I don't think you've ever seen Petra, pictures of Petra, Beautiful, what looks like old cities that are carved into the walls. The first time I remember ever seeing it. I'm a child of the '80s, so I got I've seen just about every VHS movie out there. But I remember watching Indiana Jones, one of the Indiana Jones movies, and they were going through the Petra ruins. And this is before green screen and all that, so you got to see live, you know, footage of them going through. And that that city always captured my imagination. And fortunately, when I was in the military, I had an opportunity to actually visit Petra. And what do you think? The first thing I wanted to do when I got there. I went and explored it, and I wanted to see what was inside these big, beautiful, ornate temples carved into the side of these mountains. Guess what I found? All my childhood ideas and imaginations crushed. I walked in there. It's just an empty, cold cave. What, what a symbol for a people. All the appearances and possibilities of being a great nation and serving the Lord, but when you go inside and you look, it's just nothing. It's just empty. That, that really struck me, and I, I didn't know that until I got into this. I didn't realize that you know, Esau would come to Edomites, and Edomites would be the great thorn to Israel. You know, and that was, that was a, a, the blessing I got from the study. Let's go through 6 through 8 now. As sons of his father and a servant his master, if then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reference, says the Lord of hosts? To you priests who despise my name, yet you say... In what way have we despised your name? I'm going to stop right there. In 6, we see this rhythm this, this rhythm of questioning, question and answer, and it's kind of a very disrespectful tone, and you're going to see this throughout the whole chapter. It reminds me of, very, it reminds me of speaking to a very contemptuous teenager. And if, that, if you don't know if you've ever had a teenager in your house, and you, I think we've all been teenagers for the most part, but you, you know how it goes. Have you done any work for the house? Oh, yeah, I've done some work. You haven't done any work. In what ways have I not done any work? Um, I took my laundry to the laundry room. Isn't that work? You know, it's just—it's a very contemptuous tone, and just you know, it's almost snarky. 
And, and that's, this question and answer kind of really just sets the tone for the, these people. Um, it just does a great job of showing us the wickedness of their hearts. Um, and we're about to find out some backsliding that the people have been doing. Um, in 7 and 8, you, you offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled, your food, defiled you? By saying, the, to- the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? God made a provision in the Old Testament that for your sins, you and your family, you offer sacrifices of unblemished, innocent animal on behalf of your sinful life as an atonement for the sins. Unblemished animals died as a substitute in place of the sinner. This is the act God had given them. They were this act that God had gave, given them. They were even messing that up. God just had Jerusalem destroyed, and then was gracious enough to let them repent and rebuild the temple. Let them rebuild the walls. Now here they are again, just a few generations later, already falling short with sacrifices and empty worship. Um, it, Pastor Mike's going through Numbers 29 on Wednesdays. If you have had a chance to join us for that, that's been a blessing. But we just talked about this. I'm not going to read all the rules for it because we, we, that was Wednesdays before. But I just wanted to give you a, just a snippet of very clear rules of what we're supposed to be doing, what the Israelites were supposed to be doing. Um, and this is from Numbers 29, 35 through 40. On the eighth day, you shall have a sacred assembly. You shall do not... You shall do no customary work. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, as a sweet aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish. And their grain offering and the drink offering for the bull, for the ram, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinances. Also one go as a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering. It's grain offering and it's drink offering. These you shall present to the Lord at your appointed feast, Besides your vowed offerings and your free will offerings, as your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, as your drink offerings and your peace offerings. So Moses told the children of Israel everything, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. This is something they were commanded to do. It's not a check in the box. It's something you're supposed to do. And, and I really, yes, it's an issue that they brought the blind and the, the lame um, to sacrifice, but I think the biggest problem here is their heart. Current, how, how do we apply it to ourselves? What are we offering the Lord? What are we offering to the Lord? How about this? Do you think our prayers as an offering? In Proverbs 15.8, I'll read that for you real quick. Proverbs 15.8, The sacrifices of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Brothers and sisters, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be praying, worshiping, and honoring the Lord with everything we do. Everything we do. And number nine, but now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? This to me comes off as kind of a sarcastic uh, comment about the these Israelites' expectations of how God should be blessing them in spite of their gross offering. Remember, they, they're not living in the, the age of grace. It reminds me of a parable of the widow and two mites. 
I'll read that for you real quick. And this is something I was just teaching my kids in school the other day. From Mark 12, 41 through 44, Now Jesus sat opposite of the treasury and saw how people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, As surely I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put out of their abundance, but she put out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. This would be like a rich Israelite tossing a couple wooden nickels into that treasury box, right? Tossing a couple wooden nickels and saying, Lord, won't you be gracious enough to bless me? The answer is no, the Lord is not going to be compromising in that. Uh, one of the things that we talked about, uh, some of the kids that are in here uh, at my school, we, we were talking about the, uh, we remember the Peanuts. I'm, I'm not Mike, I'm not going to talk about Star Wars stuff, but I'll make a, a reference to, this, to some of the older generation. We remember the Peanut Gallery, right? And all their cartoons, and we remember Linus, and he had his security blanket. All right? One, one of the, the, the cartoons that was, was shared with the kids is that Linus finally threw down his blanket, but he did it to support the tree, and, and, and it was for something that was, they were, they were worshiping Christ. Um, and that's an important thing because most of the episodes, all the kids and everybody, there's usually some part of that cartoon that they spend trying to take that blanket, that security blanket, away from Linus, but he wouldn't give it up, right? That was everything to him. Now, if Linus, is, if Linus was today and his dad was the CEO of MySecurityBlanket.com, right, and he had a, wall, a locker full of these blankets and they had a bunch out in his, his car and he had a bunch in his backpack and he threw a, a zip-tied, you know, an airlocked blanket to, to someone, that wouldn't mean as much, would it? But the fact that that one blanket was the only thing and his most cherished thing and he gave it up meant a great deal more. It's a measure of the heart. I think that's you know, the biggest thing for us that we need to take from this is just how are we giving? How, how are we giving our time? I, I, I always tell people, you know, people, whenever the conversation of tithes and offerings, the biggest thing you can offer is your time. The, the, the time of an adult is so valuable, especially when, when it's in regards to deal, dealing with young people. Ten. In uh, Malachi one ten, who is who is there even among you, who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle a fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. That's something I don't ever want to hear the Lord say or anybody that's of, of, of Christ. I want nothing to do with you. From my actions or or my behaviors, I, that's something I never would want to hear. So. That's that I, I want to be guarded about and make sure that I'm doing what's right. 11, for from the rising sun, rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And every place incense shall be offered by, to my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. I'm thinking of Jesus again, a pure offering. I mean, we're talking about a, an Old Testament Bible verse that points to the Lord this is something that shines me. Um, and, and Pastor Mike's, and again, on Sundays, if you've been here, my, Pastor Mike's been talking about what's, this in Luke, right? When we go through our day, we need to be remembering verse 11 here. For from rising of the sun, even to its going down, 
the Lord's name shall be great among the Gentiles. The Lord's name shall be great. Um, the Lord's name shall be great coming from my mouth. Everything I do, I'm driving, I'm working, working with people, taking out the garbage, doing the chores I don't want to do, right? The Lord's name shall be great, not my bemoaning of what I want to not, don't want to do. 12 through 13, but you profane it in that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food, is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the, soul, the stolen and the lame and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your, your hands, says the Lord? And then 14, but cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. I am, the, I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nation. Israel, as God's people, should honor him as their father and reverence him as their master. Instead, they insult him. They offer to God animals that are lame, sick, and blind. They would never think of offering such animals to the, their governors, yet they offer them to God. Expect him to be pleased with them. They would do much better to close the temple doors and have no sacrifices at all than to offer worship like that. Even the Gentiles offer more sincere worship. To the Jews, the whole worship ritual has become boring. Not only do they insult God, but they, the standard of their offerings, but they also cheat him. When in trouble, they promise to sacrifice something of value. If he saves them, but once they are saved, they give him something worthless. The thing I feel convicted about is our, our, our prayer, right? Our prayer and recognition of the Lord. How often do we wait until it's the time of trouble, right? And then we're seeing out, saw through that trouble, and then it's put that, that prayer, and that's recognizing and that worshiping, and that honoring of God is put on the back burner. It needs to be the first and last thing we do with everything we do. First and last thing, act we do with everything we do. After seeing this, how, how the Israels behave, is it any wonder that there'll be another 400 years before we hear from another prophet? And who's that prophet? John the Baptist. And what's he bringing? A perfect sacrifice. Because we keep messing it up. As we roll into the Christmas season, we need to remember why it was done. We couldn't keep the law. We even mess it up when we have the opportunity to redeem it, redeem ourselves. We can't do that. By sending Jesus, God made our salvation easy. I picture a book, uh, Salvation for Dummies, over at Walden Books or whatever, Barnes and Nobles. has a sheep on it, Salvation for Dummies. This was not just for the Israelites messing up sacrifice, but more importantly for us, just living and struggling with our sin. God basically says, here is the perfect sacrifice, my son, sinless, holy, and righteous. He will be beaten and bloodied and killed on the cross for, our, for your sins forever. What do we now have to do? Simply receive this wonderful gift. Jesus fulfills the law. What does he ask us as believers to do? In Luke 10, 25 through 27, it talks about that. And I didn't bark that out, but I'll, give me a second, I'll find it.
Be patient with me. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, Luke 10, 25 through 27. And behold, a suit lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he said, So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbors as yourself. And Jesus said, And Jesus said to him, You have answered rightly, do this, and you will live. That's what we need to do. We need to be honoring the Lord, and we need to be loving the Lord and loving our neighbors. With that, let's just um, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we pray that you lay down on our hearts the things of your kingdom, the joyful burdens of your kingdom. Help us, God. Help us to not patronize you with our praying, with our worshiping, in any ways of our lives, Lord. God, be glorified and cause your name to be glorified in this world through our lives. We pray that you would help us to live in such a way that we reflect your character and display your glory to the world around us. We pray like as, as in Malachi one eleven, from the rising of the sun to its setting, your name will be great among the nations, Lord. So we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the gift of your son, and we thank you for the sacrifice, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you need prayer, uh, we more than half love to pray with you, Lord. We'd love to pray with you and, and lift up your um, petitions up to the Lord. Um, there'll be some elders and myself will be up here and um, have a blessed day.